you're listening to the Visionary Life Podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Rydell. Each week, I'll bring you conversations with some of the most passionate, hardworking, and limitless thinkers on this earth who have a story to share, a brand that inspires, or a fire inside of them to live life on their own terms. The intention behind each episode is simple, and that's to include you in these conversations so that you can learn, apply, and grow in your own life and in your business. If I can share one quick secret with you before we begin, it's that we all have a little bit of visionary inside of us, but perhaps somewhere along the line, someone told you to play small, to play safe, and that led you to live an ordinary life. Tuning into Visionary Life will help you dust off the limiting beliefs you carry around so that you can begin to create your own most visionary life. It's in you. It's in all of us. Let's dive in. Have you ever met someone for the first time and after hearing them speak for only a few moments, you knew that A, you wanted to be their best friend and B, you wanted to hear more. You just wanted to soak in all their brilliance. So this was my experience with today's guest, Michael Roderick. I was originally introduced to Michael at a virtual summit that I attended back in April of 2020. And from the moment he began talking about his genius of how brands become referable, I was amazed. Michael Roderick is the CEO of Small Pond Enterprises, which helps thoughtful givers become thought leaders by making their brand referable and their messaging memorable and their ideas unforgettable. And he is truly a master of that, I promise you. Michael began his career as a high school English teacher, and then he broke into the world of Broadway producing, and he did this in all in under two years. And now he focuses on how you can create a referable brand so that you're top of mind for partnerships, media opportunities, and more. Michael is a man of many talents, but honestly, he is such a captivating speaker that I know you're going to pull out some really good nuggets. He also hosts his own podcast called Access to Anyone, which I will link in the show notes and which I will be featured on in the coming weeks. And in this episode today, we chat mostly about how to create a brand that is referable, which is something that I am extremely passionate about as well. After all, if nobody's referring you or referring to you, you're on a constant hamster wheel of being a one-person marketing team. So we need to make these strategic operational choices that actually drive referrals. And Michael is brilliant at sharing some concepts of how we can do that. So the best place to connect with Michael is to head to his website, which is smallpondenterprises.com, or you can click the link in the show notes and sign up to receive his daily email. Yes, he writes daily. Yes, I have been subscribed since the day I met him, and I truly enjoy reading his thought leadership every single day in my inbox. It's a joy and a treat and just wonderful to get um, his unique thought on, on so many different topics and themes. So highly suggest that you go subscribe to that. So that is it. Let me dive into this interview with someone who I greatly admire and look up to and respect, Michael Roderick. 
All right, Michael, welcome to the Visionary Life Podcast. I was saying just before we started recording that ever since I met you at an event online a few months ago, I guess it was, I've just been so enthralled in your fresh approach to all things marketing and building a referable brand. So I'm very honored to have you on the show today. Thank you for being here. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to get a chance to dig in. Awesome. So let's start with some quick fire questions so that our listeners can get to know you. So number one, where did you grow up? Uh, Rhode Island, uh, which is the uh, smallest state in the union. So <laughs> very, yep. very small, uh, small crowd. <laughs> and now you live where? Uh, in New York City. New York City. So I have a feeling we'll learn why you moved there at some point through this conversation. <laughs> I'm wondering, is there a book that you feel has greatly impacted your life or just a book that you really love? Yeah. Um, Seth Godin's book, uh, Lynchpin, uh, Mm. is the one that immediately comes to mind. Uh, It was the reason I left teaching. I was uh, I was actually I was teaching high school and I was on the subway and I was reading the section that he wrote about where he talks about how school was basically built to make us better factory workers right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the rose, all of the, uh, and I sort of had this moment uh, where I realized that as a teacher, I was really just a factory worker. I was, I was pushing kids through to a standardized test because that was kind of the main marker of evaluation. Yeah. Uh, and I just sort of had this moment where I was like, you know what, I'm a good teacher uh, and there might be something bigger that I could teach. Uh, and that's really what caused me to sort of step away from it all. Uh, so yeah, that book was a a very important part of my life. That's awesome. I'm going to link that one in the show notes and I can definitely say that I echo the sentiment of many Seth Godin books have really left that resonating impact on me and made, um, a lot of positive changes in my life. So thanks for sharing that. Um, what is one thing you do every single day that is non-negotiable? Uh, so it's meditation. Uh, and, uh, I was introduced to it a number of years ago, uh, and was very skeptical of it, uh, when I was first introduced to it. Um, but it really completely changed my life. Uh, the whole like 20 minutes twice a day. Uh, obviously when my, uh, when, uh, my first daughter was born and then my, my second daughter, you know, you have those challenges of getting in both every day. Um, but I always get in at least my, at least 20 minutes, uh, uh, every day of meditation. Mm-hmm. And when you're in meditation, I'm curious because I've tried to pick up the habit, but it just hasn't stuck yet. Are yeah. you often thinking about your next creative idea and marinating in business? Or do you just think about like life, relationships, or do you just clear your mind? What is often coming up for you? Yeah, so I learned that it wasn't about clearing your mind when I was when I was taught. Um, I was taught by uh, Emily Fletcher, who's just, you know, an absolute genius when it comes to that particular world. Uh, and basically the idea was like to not fight the thoughts, right. To Mm -hmm. just like, just sort of like let come whatever comes and sort of let go of whatever, whatever, uh, happens. And so for me, I have lots of instances where, yeah, I'm thinking about business stuff. I'm thinking like, I've got ideas that are kind of popping up. Um, but then I'll also have moments where I'm like, just kind of paying attention to the breath and sort of seeing where, you know, seeing where it all lands and, and where it all goes. And I just, I don't put any pressure on myself to be either clear or have that meditation be a really good moment. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I just kind of like, let it be what it is. Mm, That's awesome. 
Now, one of the first things that I learned from you back when we met at this online event was that a great way to capture people's attention and build their curiosity is to introduce yourself using some sort of high contrast statement. I believe that was your lingo or something similar. So in your case, you often share that you went from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer in under two years. So first of all, love that. It's so captivating. (laughs) And I'm sure everyone goes, well, tell me how you did it. Um, So I'm just wondering, could you share more about how you made that leap? Sure, sure. Um, So it's actually, it's really interesting, because there's a lesson I think to be learned in pretty much any industry, um, which is that I looked for the vulnerabilities within the industry, right? Like I looked for the things that nobody else was doing. So a lot of the time, everybody's kind of trying to jam themselves to the same door, but often we're in a house full of windows, right? Uh, So basically the way that I approached it was in Broadway, the main way that you climbed was to get credit. That was the idea that you would sort of negotiate with another producer and then they would let you put your name above the title on a show if you raised a certain amount of money. Uh, but I was really just interested in getting better at raising money because I knew that that was the core skill. So what I did was I went to producers and I said, I don't want credit. I don't really care about having my name on anything. I just want to get better at raising money. So if you want to give me your paperwork, I'm more than happy to get it out there. I'm more than happy to introduce you to some investors. Uh, I don't really need anything right now. And what happened was a lot of producers then gave me deal flow. They all gave me their, their paperwork, right? Because there wasn't any real issue of like, am I giving him credit or not giving him credit? It was just sort of like a, he's helping me. Right. So when I went to investors, most other producers were going to investors with one show or maybe two shows. And I was coming to investors with a portfolio. So it was way easier to basically find people who would be investors when you have a a selection of things that they could invest in. Uh, So I ended up moving much, much faster than a lot of my colleagues. I ended up raising money on a lot of different shows. And eventually what happened was because I had built that level of credibility, then somebody came to me and offered me uh, the opportunity to have credit on a show as opposed to me going to somebody and saying, will you give me credit? That's so cool. And I think there's such a big lesson there for any industry that like sometimes you have to go in and just see how you can serve and not be looking for the accolades, the titles, the recognition, right? And just pour value into the industry in a way that maybe not many people were doing that. And I think that's why I wanted to bring you on the Visionary Life podcast because you've kind of proven like there is no one way to get into an industry. Like look at what's not being done and challenge the way it's always been done and follow those nudges, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's about this aspect of a lot of the time we sort of, we see things in a certain way and it's very easy to sort of consider those things just doctrine, right? To just consider that it's the truth. And the fact of the matter is that there are always variables in every single industry. So there's always something that somebody is doing that is not necessarily the truth. That could be, you could do it a different way. Uh, So it's worth it always to test the variables because there's lots of things that you could find. There's lots of things that you could discover if you do that. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm wondering, could you quickly explain the role of a Broadway producer? Because I actually thought it was something where you were like on stage training the different (laughs) talent. Um, So just for clarity, like what exactly is that role? 
Yeah, sure. So, so basically, a Broadway producer's real job is to raise money. Okay. Uh, for the most part, you find money, you find investors for a show, and then you get your credit based on the amount of money that you raise. So there are some producers who are considered creative producers in Broadway where they're kind of in the early stages. They're helping put the show together. But for the most part, most Broadway producers are people who are either writing checks themselves or they're raising and bundling money to make sure that the show gets off the ground. Hmm. So are you still working as a producer today? I know you've had, uh, well, you have a business now called Small Pond Enterprises. So what happened in that gap? What are you up to today? Where are you focusing your current efforts? Yeah, so so the way that I like to frame it is that producing is like basically climbing this this really tough tree, right? Like branches smacking in your face, et cetera. You get to the top of that tree and you see this beautiful view. And then you're asked to climb back down the tree <laughs> and just climb the same tree again because ultimately you're just you're raising money until a show goes up and then once a show goes up it's like are you going to raise money for another show and always like my my thing is like once something becomes monotonous it's no longer for me like <laughs> once it starts to feel too much like i am just it going back to that you know Seth Godin side of things like i am sitting in a desk you know, in rows, you know, once it, once it feels too much like that, I'm just not going to do it anymore. Mm -hmm. So with Broadway, I realized, yeah, I could try to sort of get to the top of the totem pole and be the, you know, the top Broadway producer, but I was always going to be doing the exact same thing, just the, you know, little variances. And that wasn't interesting enough to me. Mm -hmm. uh, so what I realized was that people were really interested in my journey. Right. So they were really interested in how did I go from being a high school English teacher to a Broadway producer in under two years. And they were interested in how I was getting in the rooms that I was getting into and all the opportunities that I was having. And what I realized was that most of the time we assume that it's talent, it's luck, you know, et cetera. But when we study our own patterns, basically patterns are always the precursor to frameworks. So I decided if I were to study networking, like if I were to study how do people create relationships, then I might start to see some patterns and I might start to develop some frameworks around that. So I started hosting workshops where I would simulate networking experiences. So I actually have people act out one-on-one -on -one meetings, job interviews and cocktail parties in workshop environments. And I noticed a lot of patterns in terms of just how people interacted. So I started basically teaching people about those patterns in, in relationship building. And eventually people started coming to me and saying, well, can you do that for me? And people in the business world started coming and saying, can you do that for me? So small pond really started from this aspect of people coming to me and saying, can you teach me how to get to the next level in the industry that I'm in connect with the right people, all of these all of these classic sort of relationship, uh, you know, concepts. And, and that's really where the, the business sort of side of it all started. Thanks to edX for supporting this week's episode of Visionary Life. edX offers top quality university education at your fingertips. Supporting learners at every stage, whether you're just entering the job market changing career paths, or seeking a promotion, edX delivers online courses for visionaries like you on topics that you'll love, like marketing, entrepreneurship, and food and nutrition. 
among many others. To kick off my own edX experience, I enrolled in a marketing course and just wrapped up an amazing lesson on the topic of real-time marketing, which is all about how we, as business owners and marketers, can incorporate the narrative of current events into our promotional strategies. Professor Darren shared so many real-life examples, and I loved listening to this lecture. I also appreciated that I could listen to the lecture at one and a half speed, yeah, I'm a little bit nutty like that, while folding my laundry, cooking dinner, hello multitasking. Visit edX.org slash visionary, that's E-D-X dot O-R-G slash visionary for an exclusive discount and start your learning today with top professors and instructors from a wide variety of prestigious universities. You'll be amazed that you're able to access this type of information without leaving your laptop. Offered fully online, edX courses are flexible and can fit into your busy schedule. What are you waiting for, visionary? Again, simply visit edX.org slash visionary to get started. One more time, that's edX.org slash visionary. I think that's so cool. You actually just put into words for me um, something that I experienced many years ago because I used to practice as a nutritionist and at the time, like 10 years ago, all nutritionists were seeing their patients or their clients in an office and, you know, it'd be one-on-one and you come visit me at my clinic and you could only access people within a 10K radius. And I just thought like, this is weird. This is not a good way to scale up a business. So I brought my business online and I started running group programs through Facebook and, um, you know, bringing a lot of people into a seven-week series on detox. And I started to get people who were curious, like you said, about my journey. And that just led me into consulting other nutritionists on marketing and online business. So I think that's really um, something that we often brush off about ourselves. Like we go through these transformations and we assume, oh, everybody knows how to do that. But that's not the case. Like you have learned something that is so unique that, yeah, if you want to teach that framework to others, then surely they would pay you for that. So with Small Prawn Enterprises, um, who is it that you focus on working with now? Yeah. So now uh, I've had a shift in, you know, in the, in the business and the shift mm-hmm. came interestingly enough from uh, the world of sort of networking and relationship building, I would say probably about like three or four years back uh, really shifted quite a bit where basically people were selling the idea that if you meet famous people or if you connect with famous people uh, or influential people, then you'll make boatloads of money. Right. And it, and it was very much like, um, you know, that old South Park uh, skit where it was like, you know, collect underpants, profit, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's, the, <laughs> what's that like middle piece, right? Um, and what happened was like people stopped really trusting anybody in the relationship building space because there were just so many people creating these, you know, scenarios that were really uh, just like not very straightforward, right? In terms of how you build really solid relationships So when I realized this, I realized I couldn't sell this anymore. Like it really didn't make sense uh, to try and sell it. So I went back to looking at what is it that got me in all of these doors. And originally I had thought it was relationship building, but relationship building is just one piece of the puzzle because it doesn't matter if you can get into the room, if people don't want you to stay there. 
So what I realized was the reason why I ended up in all of these rooms, the reason why I ended up with all these introductions, all these different opportunities was not just because I understood relationships. It was because people would talk about me when I wasn't in the room. And that's where this idea of the referable brand came from. And I was doing a, I was doing basically a workshop on networking and I decided to take about 15 minutes in that workshop to say, Hey guys, here's a new idea or here's a new concept that I have. And I think that if you package your ideas in such a way that people will remember them and then I think you'll get more referrals. Like I think more business will come your way. And I presented it in a very, very basic kind of concept. And at the end of that workshop, I offered everybody hot seats. And at the end of that workshop, everybody wanted their hot seat to be on referable brand. Mm. So that's where I landed on this aspect of, oh, people don't think about this a lot. Like people do not think about referability a lot. And what I noticed going back to the vulnerability concept is that in the marketing world, we basically um, for a very long time has sort of worship differentiation, right? Like we've thought about like stand out, be different, all of these different types of things. But the problem is when you get a bunch of marketers teaching people how to be different and literally giving them scripts on how to be different, then everybody's different starts to become the same. Mm -hmm. So how do you cut through the noise? You cut through the noise with referability. So that's where the concept came from. And I said, oh, if I teach thought leaders, if I teach people who have really great ideas how to be referable and to how to get their ideas out into the world and have people refer to those ideas, then that's a very, very valuable offering. And it's something that's going to be far easier to sell than relationship building, which has all sorts of variables. Like I could teach you all of the relationship building skills in the world, but if you're successful, who knows why you were successful? could have been the person you met. It could have been some random factor. But if I help you craft something and then you're able to sell your product for more as a result of the way that I helped you craft it, or mm -hmm. you get more interviews and more opportunities, that is a very, very clearly defined outcome. So it's way easier to sell and it's way easier to put out, out there. That is so cool. I feel like referability is kind of like the secret weapon of the marketing world that not enough people are talking about. Like there's all these gurus who are like, you need to be on ClickFunnels and use my exact process to 10x your revenue or you've got to like have a thriving Facebook group. And yeah, they're teaching all these particular tools. But if the community is not talking about how amazing your brand is. And if you're missing that referability piece, which is like a very important um, part of the consumer purchasing cycle, like if a customer loves the experience they've had with you, of course, they're going to tell a friend. They're going to be like, I just went to the best restaurant or I worked with the most amazing business coach and they got me these results. Um, that could be your entire uh, strategy for getting new clients, you know, is having yep. those talkable moments, having those shareable moments that when a client is with you, like they can't help but leave with all these different insights that they want to tell their friends and family. So um, on that note, what makes a brand referable? Like for somebody sitting here who's like, okay, well, I think I have a good service. I help people transition to a vegan diet. Like, I don't know, isn't that enough? What makes a brand referable in your opinion? Yeah, so 
the way I look at it is that there's three principles. There's three sort of main ideas that you have to focus on. And it's easy to remember because it spells the word aim. So when you think about a referable brand, you want to think about this idea of taking aim. Uh, and those principles are accessibility, influence, and memory. So accessibility ties to do people outside of your industry understand what you're talking about? Most of the time, that's not the case. Like most of the time people have trouble understanding what it is that you're offering or what it is that you're putting out there. So your first hurdle is always that accessibility piece, right? To make sure that people actually get it first. So it can't be shared if people are gonna feel stupid explaining it, right? Yeah. Like you never want somebody to feel like they can't talk about you because it basically, because they feel like they're gonna mess it up. Right. Um, and, and that's the thing, like we often kind of, we, we, we don't think enough about this. We don't think enough about like if somebody else were talking about this, would they be able to do it and not be embarrassed mm -hmm. by messing up the phrasing or the, you know, the language, et cetera. Um, influence is a really interesting one because influence is something we've always thought about, especially because if you've read like influence by Robert Cialdini and, and you've seen a lot of like different principles that are out there, often influence is described in the context of persuasion, right? Getting somebody to do something, right? But true influence is will people do something of their own volition for you, right? Like you really have influence if people are willing to just kind of do things, you know, for you without any of those tools, basically kind of pushing them in that direction. Mm -hmm. And what I learned was that the thing that's like truly influential is if you give somebody something that makes them look better, right? So if they present something and then they look cool, they look interesting, then what happens is they will share it far more often. And a lot of the time we think about you know, like viral videos and like all these different types of things being shared, we think about it from the context of like, oh, well that must've been really funny or that must've been like really cool and it, you know, it needs to be built for you know, viral virality or whatever. But the fact of the matter is, it's more about the reward that the person gets for sharing it. So if I share something that I legitimately think is funny, then all of my friends think that I have a good sense of humor because I'm sharing this funny thing. So yeah. I'm not sharing it because, oh, it's cool and it's funny. I'm sharing it because everybody else is going to look at me and think, wow, I'm funny. Yeah. Right? And same thing with you know any kind of thought leadership or any kind of idea. And then finally, it doesn't matter if your stuff is the best in the world if people can't remember it. So if they can't walk away and repeat it, whatever it is, it's not going to matter. And I, and I often tell people it's, it's not how well you tell the story. It's how easy it is for other people to retell the story. And most of the time we're focused on how well we tell the story, but we're not thinking about how would somebody retell the story? What memory triggers am I creating, you know, for the person? And on the memory side, the way I like to frame it is if you want people to remember you more, you focus on less, L-E-S-S. -S. And that's language, emotion, simplicity, and structure. So from a language standpoint, most of us do not take the time to create our own language around things. Like we don't come up with our own words. We usually use somebody else's words, right? But if we do have our own language, then it refers back to us. People remember those words. They remember those concepts. Uh, and then from an emotional standpoint, 
when we're in a heightened state of emotion, we remember material more because our brain is, is wired to remember things in heightened emotional states because that was originally meant to protect us. So if we were in a heightened emotional state, we need to know where we were, what was going on, otherwise we wouldn't survive. But the same thing happens. So if I cause you to cry when telling you a story, you're gonna remember all the details of the story because you're crying while you're listening to it, right? And most of the time we don't necessarily infuse emotion into those, into those ideas. And then simplicity, is something that our brains can only basically handle so much information. So if somebody gives us a three-step process, it's way easier than a 32-point checklist, right? Or a 32-point process because there's too much information to carry. And then finally, structure is how we make sense of things. So we need to follow a logical path. We don't start a book in the middle and then jump from side to side. We start at the beginning and we go in a logical process. So if somebody doesn't give us a logical process to follow with the information, we're probably going to forget it. We're probably not going to, you know, think about it in the, you know, in, in the right context or in a way that we could share it with somebody and going all the way back to the beginning, accessibility, influence, and memory has a very specific structure because you can't do influence if you don't have accessibility. Like if people don't get it, they're not going to share it. And if they share it, you can't get them, a lot of people to share it and get it to move unless you're focusing on these memory triggers, unless you're focusing on how people are going to easily transfer uh, the information. So it follows a logical progression as well as spells a word so it gets solidified in your memory. Oh my goodness, this is so good. And like, uh, I think we're all going to have to rewind and listen to you go through <laughs> the aim and then the less. Um, those are such good tips. And, and one thing that I have found have found myself doing over the last five years um, is giving my clients and students of my online course like too much information and I just dump on them because I I just want to give it all I want to hand yeah. it all over and what I've been missing and that I've learned from you is simplicity frameworks have something like an acronym that can embody everything you wanted to say in a five page PDF because the students, they're not remembering what that five-page PDF says. They're not remembering our weekly coaching call that was 60 minutes long. Like, It's like, what is that one actionable thing that they can take forward into their business and that encompasses what I needed them to know in a very short, simple framework? And so yep. I think like that's been one thing that has really stuck with me is like break it down into something simple that then they can go teach to their clients and hopefully that's that makes me referable because they're like, yep. oh, Kelsey teaches the five in one method, the five pieces of short form content, one piece of long form. Whereas before I was trying to go through, okay, you could post on Instagram, you could write a LinkedIn article. They're not remembering that shit, you know? So yeah. um, I know for you, acronyms are such a big piece of your work. So yeah. I'm wondering, like, do you just have the confidence to just kind of like make up these frameworks on the fly? Or does it take you a long time to think like, hmm, I'm going to come up with the dime method, the gate community. Um, and like, what are some tips for how we can all incorporate more of this into our respective businesses? Sure. Uh, so, so I think the, the most important uh, principle, and this is something that I talk about a lot, is um, you give yourself permission to suck, right? Um, because your market is going to give you the answers. You're not going to come up with it yourself. Like, like 
in essence, what you want to do is you want to test things against your market and see what are people reacting to. And the metaphor that I like to use for this is uh, when I was working in the theater world, there was a producer who used to talk about the fact that when the lights came up, he would sit in the audience when the show was getting started, right? And the light and, and the lights kind of go down and like show's getting started. And he would pay attention. Do people sit back or do they lean in? And if they lean in, you know that you've got them. You know that you've got their interest. And if they sit back, they're kind of evaluating. They're still figuring out like, do I want to watch this show? And I approach all of my content from the same way. I ask myself, like, are people leaning in from the idea? So what I like to do is I'll come up with a way to say it and I'll throw it out there and then I'll see, did somebody react to it? Did they respond to it? Are people talking about it? Are they continuously sort of, you know, uh, commenting or remembering it? And if I find like, yes, they are, then I keep repeating that particular thing. But there are tons of things that you'll throw out there that may not land at all. It may not work. And I think that the, uh, you know, the point of creating your own uh, phrases, taglines, like all these different types of things is never to put too much weight on how successful or unsuccessful they're going to be because you just never know how the market's going to react, right? Like you never know like what's going to work and what's, and, and what's not. So it's better to just test things and see like, how are people reacting to this particular idea or to this particular concept? And uh, to go back to your you know, question about sort of the way that it's happened for me a lot of the time, I'll often be explaining something to somebody and I'll walk them through like what it is. And then I'll have a moment where I'm like, oh, wait a second, that could be a word. So sometimes it's, I look down and I say, okay, what would be the logical way to sort of create this? And then I'm like, okay, what word would it spell? Right? So I could, you know, with dime, it's, you know, the four ways to think about asking direct, indirect, mutually beneficial and extraordinary. Right? So the thing is, there's tons of different ways to talk about direct asking. There's tons of different ways to talk about indirect. There's tons of different ways and words to use for mutually beneficial. And there's tons of different one, ways to say extraordinary. Right? but you put them together and it spells the word dime, it makes it super easy for people to remember and use. Mm -hmm. But if I put them out of order, it, you're like, it wouldn't be as easy to remember. So you wanna look at like, what are the ways that I could make this easy for people to remember and, and package it and then test it against your market. That's the, that's the really, really important piece that I think a lot of people aren't willing to do. Um, and you know, it takes a, uh, I call it the tennis novice versus the tennis pro mentality, right? So like if a tennis novice misses a shot, usually the game is over. Uh, and if a tennis pro misses a shot, they ask like, what can I learn? What happened? Where did that ball come from? And even if they lose the game, they know that this is additional information for them to get better, right? Because the tennis novice is basically a slave to the product, right? Mm -hmm. And a tennis pro is a student of the process. So if you're a slave to the product, if you're always worried about how is it going to work and if it doesn't work, like will people hate me or will they hate my stuff, you know, et cetera, you're probably not going to get very far. But if you follow that tennis pro mindset and you're basically a student of the process and you say, okay, I tried that, nobody was interested, what can I learn from this? It's a whole different way of, uh, of thinking about things. I often, I often will tell people failure is not failure. Failure is new information. 
That's yeah. really all it is. It's just new information. And you can take that information. There's so much you can find. Like there, there are so many moments of success. There are so many seeds of success in those like first couple of moments after failure. But most of the time we don't like sit down and look at it, right? Like we don't look at that thing that didn't work, but that's where most of our greatest stuff comes from. So mm -hmm. if you're willing to just keep experimenting and testing and being like, oh, well that fell flat, uh, you can start to iterate and find what's really going to work. And then you double down on those things that do work, that people are commenting on, talking about, sharing and you're like these are the things that make the most sense and the other stuff kind of falls by the wayside i've probably created thousands of frameworks but there are only certain ones that really stand out mm -hmm. um, and in many cases they start to become their own things after a while thank you to healthy planet for supporting today's show healthy planet is your one-stop shop for all of your natural health and supplement needs and they have the best prices i promise you i've been shopping at healthy planet for over five years and that is why i am so grateful to have them as sponsors because i know you're gonna love how easy their online or in-person shopping experience is you can find them at www.healthyplanetcanada.com on their website, you can shop by department or dietary need, or even you could just pop in and check the sale rack. It's such an efficient way to ensure that you're stocked up on all of your favorite health goods all of the time. Use the code VISIONARY10 at checkout, that's VISIONARY10, and you'll save 10% on any online order that's a minimum of $49. So again, that's the code VISIONARY10 at checkout at healthyplanetcanada.com. And I think that's a conversation that I wish we would hear more business owners and entrepreneurs and creative thinkers th talk about is that, yeah, for every success you see them have, there is so much failure. And like you said, failure is just data that, hey, maybe you tried to launch a weekly coaching call at noon, but nobody could attend at noon because they were all at the office. So maybe that's data that they need it to be at 7 p.m. instead of at noon, you know, so it's just that gives you guidance to what can your next iteration do that is not, um, yeah, that's going to get you one step closer towards success. So exactly. yeah, I, I love everything you said in the last few minutes too. And um, I was thinking as you were saying, it's so important to establish your own frameworks as a business owner. Um, it's something that I often see in the nutritionist community everybody is kind of teaching the same program. Like everyone has yep. a module called meal prep 101 and everyone kind of teaches like how to transition to a more of a plant-based diet and how to meditate and exercise more And it. It just starts to seem like the same, same over and over. But for anyone listening who's thinking, well, yeah, that is kind of me. I'm, I, I keep comparing myself. Why not come up with your own processes and frameworks that set you into a league of your own, right? Like no one yep. else can teach the dime method like you do because you made it up, right? So you can't yep. be compared, uh, which I really love. Um, speaking of testing, I know you yeah. send a daily email and I think I heard you say on a previous podcast that oftentimes that's your way of testing new material and you see yep. like, did anybody reply to this? Did anybody engage with it? Or, um, maybe you get uh, an email response where everyone's like, whoa, revolutionary. That's awesome. So what inspired you to start sending a daily email? As I know <laughs> that's a big commitment and what have been some of the lessons learned from it? Yeah, so uh, probably like, I 
I want to say it was three, four years back, somewhere around there. Um, I went and saw, um, I went to a, an event and uh, Ben Settle was one of the speakers. And Ben Settle is one of these copywriting copywriting guys. Um, and he's one of those like, kind of like, he's not the one like on the book of faces and like out there being like very public about any of his stuff. Um, and he's really good. Like he, he understands like psychology. He understands how to write, you know, he really gets things. So I was at this event and he spoke and I was like, he writes a daily email and his, his, he's like, he's sending, he'll send you like four emails in a day. Like, you know, and he still does very, very well. So it's, you know, so I was really fascinated by just that concept. So I signed up, he has a print newsletter. So I signed up for his print newsletter. And when you sign up for the print newsletter, you get this handbook basically. And the handbook said, here's a challenge, write a daily email for 30 days, basically. So I was like, you know what? Why not? Let me try it. And I had written before that. I had had a blog for a long time as a producer called One Producer in the City, where I talked about being a producer in like the early stages. I had written tons of you know pieces before in the theater world, um, but I hadn't really done anything with my thought leadership and with my material. So I decided to start writing daily. And I just kind of, I put a post up and I said, hey guys, this is an experiment. I have no idea like how many of you are gonna tolerate me for, you know, every single day, but if you want, here's the link. And what I found was that people were just like eating these emails up. Uh, and I had like workshops and different things that I would just sort of pitch in those emails. And, uh, you know, I would always just kind of pitch them, usually pitch them in the PS. Like I very rarely kind of pitched them in the actual content. Yeah. Uh, and that's where most of my business started coming from. Wow. So I started just getting like tons of people reaching out and saying like, how do I work with you? Like, what do I do? And I realized this, you know, is a great way to test content. So I started writing articles and writing little pieces and saying like, okay, which things are people really reacting to? And then I would take say the top thing that I got from that week of emails and then I would make that the social post. So I would make that my LinkedIn post or that my post on the book of faces. And what would happen would be now I suddenly started to get new audiences who wanted to read the daily email, who wanted to pay attention to my stuff because I was testing and seeing like which things were really landing. The other thing was I knew that if people didn't react at all or it was kind of a lukewarm reaction, I probably covered that thing in, in a way that was enough. But if people kept coming back and saying, this is so interesting to me, or this is so powerful, or et cetera, that meant that there was a lot more that I could dig in and find, right? And, and a lot of the time, that's the, I have this concept of container words versus contents, where basically a lot of industries have container words where we use those words and everybody uses their words in their container for a lot of other things, right? So like leadership is a container word, marketing is a container word. Uh, you know, success is a container word, right? But if we open up that container, there's the contents. And those are all the words that we personally would use because of our own backgrounds, because of our own lives, et cetera. So what I would do is I would take some of those container words and I'd be like, okay, well, let me come up with a different way of phrasing it or a different way of presenting it. And let me open it up and sort of pull out those contents and see like which things are working better for people. And I remember one of them was uh, this concept 
I talked about um, called, I think it was something along the lines of uh, debt. I, I think it was like relationship debt or something mm-hmm. was the way that I had framed it. And what I did was I talked about the fact that when you are a giver, when you help a lot of people and support a lot of people, there are people within your your world who have a very, very strong impulse to give back to you. So if you don't let those people give back to you, in their mind, they start to feel like they're accumulating debt from you. They start to think, I can't possibly ever pay you back. And it actually damages the relationship. So I compared it to the aspect of like somebody having a credit card that just keeps kind of piling up and then you start avoiding the calls and how that was, um, you know, something. And I wrote this thing down and I had a friend who reached out to me. She was writing for Forbes and she was like, I want to write an entire piece on this. Cool. So I realized that's a principle that really is interesting to people. Let me keep sort of expanding on that and thinking about that. And I started making that part of interviews and part of material And that, you know, that aspect of, you know, everything I do from podcasts to conversations with people to work with clients, for me, has a double purpose. It's the work itself and it's market research. I am always getting a better sense of my market, understanding why are people, going back to that theater metaphor, why are people leaning in? And how can I get them to continue to lean in? How can I get them to continue to be like, I need to know more. I need to learn more. Uh, I want to follow up with that person, right? My goal in when I work with clients, when I do my own work, is to create an environment in which people are so curious that they follow up with me. You know, and if it's a client, it's I want to make their clients, I want to make their market so curious that they do things of their own volition, right? Because if somebody does something of their own volition, it's a very, very different thing than if somebody feels like they've been pushed into that particular thing. Mm, so cool. It sounds like you're, you love being a forever student, right? And I think that oh that is God, like yes. the best quality to have. Like you're always learning. You probably never feel like you've just arrived at understanding your audience and knowing like, everything there is to know about referability. It's always studying, always learning, taking that data, making something new, pivoting, like, you know, and I think that's such an admirable quality that oftentimes people, they want to become the expert or the person that's arrived at success, but like, that's usually not reality. Like you got to pay attention and have a keen awareness of. Yeah. um, Well, there's no arrival. Right. And and a lot of the time there's this, there's this belief that there is right. Uh, I've often referred to it as the myth of made it right? Mm -hmm. Where somebody's like, I've made it, right? You've never made it. I'm sorry, you can you can you you can hope. (laughs) But but you've never made it because everything changes, right? And, and if we look at like, I I tell the story very, very often, of how Netflix defeated Blockbuster. For those who remember that there was a time when we used to go and actually like pick up actual VHS videos from stores and go back to our house, right? Like there was a time when Blockbuster was the king of any kind of video experience, right? And when DVDs came out, Blockbuster was still the king until Netflix came along. And Netflix came along and said, by the way, no late fees. We're going to deliver this thing to you. You, and you don't ever have to worry about whether or not it's available. Like you never have to go to a store and realize, oh, that, you know, video is not available. You know, I need to wait, right? Mm-hmm. And it killed 
it absolutely destroyed Blockbuster as a result of decreasing that friction, right? Like making it so that all the issues that, that we had had. So the thing is like, if you get to that point where you think you've made it, you're just like Blockbuster, right? You're just sitting there waiting for a Netflix to come and basically just destroy you, yeah. right? So you always want to be in this state of saying, okay, this is what's going on, but what else is happening in the industry? What are the trends that I'm seeing? What are the things that I'm noticing? And what am I testing? Because mm -hmm. if I'm constantly testing and learning new things, I'm going to always be ahead of that particular curve. I'm never going to get smacked in the back of the head with the fact that the industry's changed or, or this particular thing has changed if I'm in that mode of constantly being that student, you know, mm -hmm. that student of the process, right? Love that. Yeah. Always be testing. That is something that will certainly stick with me. Um, and just going back to your concept of relationship debt of, you know, being someone yeah. who gives, gives, gives. I'm sure that yeah. a lot of people listening resonate with that. And I was really intrigued. I joined your private or maybe public Facebook group and it's called yeah. the GATE community. And you have this, another acronym, of course, yeah. called GATE. And I believe two of the words in there are give and ask. So could you yes. just explain that concept? I was really in enthused looking through this Excel document that you open up to all of the members of the community. And yeah, um, yeah I'll, I'll let you explain it a little. Sure, sure. What um, that is. So basically what I've learned over the years is that often our relationships don't actually have a lot of flow. So a lot of the time what tends to happen is either you're a giver and you're always giving and you're never asking or you're somebody who's always asking and you're usually never giving, right? So then I started to think about, well, what are the other things that we just don't do enough of, right? And I realized that in our relationships, one of the things that we don't do enough of is think and let people know, like, this is what you did and this is what it meant and this is why it matters and all these different types of things. Like, how often do you get a legitimate thank you as opposed to just a sort of like general or just nothing at all, right? Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. And then the final piece is experiment where it's like, how often do you test something and try something? So what I realized was that you can create a lot of relationship flow by giving, asking, thanking, and experimenting. And the way that I framed it was like, every day you open and close the gate. Every day you ask, is there something I could give? Is there something I can ask for? Is there something, somebody I can thank? And is there an experiment that I can do with these systems and with these processes? So when I had shared this with a friend of mine, she had mentioned that she would love to see a group where we, you know, where that was the only types of posts that you could make. And that's where the gate group kind of started, where basically people would be able to post the give, they would be able to post an ask, they would post thanking someone, and they'd be able to post an experiment, something that they were testing out and something that they were trying. Uh, and basically then you could go in the group and you could look up like who's asking for what, like who's giving, like what's going on and be able to help each other in a very, very concrete, concrete way. And I think that, you know, a lot of the time, the challenge that we have is we love to give and we love to support others and we learn all of this stuff around giving and supporting others, but we don't necessarily learn that if we are always giving, I call this the giver's fix. So if we're always giving, uh, then we're getting whatever the rush is that comes from giving. Some say it's oxytocin, some say it's dopamine, but regardless of whatever the chemical reaction is, there is a rush, there is a chemical reaction. 
there is no chemical reaction associated with asking. Like we are not having any moment where we're getting a reward from it. Yeah. So as a result, just like a drug addict, we pump ourselves full of that dopamine and that oxytocin, whatever. And we get to a point where just like an addict, we don't take care of ourselves. So we never ask for the things that we need. Mm -hmm. So if you start to balance that, if you start to say, okay, I'm giving, but am I also asking, like, am I also letting people know what it is that I need? Then you're creating a much, much better dynamic. There's not going to be that relationship between giving and debt that's happening because you're no longer robbing other people of that oxytocin, right? Mm. Like you're no longer not allowing them to help you. Mm. And I've, I've talked about this before. It's like people love to feel useful. They hate to feel used. Mm -hmm. So you, you let people know what it is that you need and you allow them their choice in terms of how they feel useful. The, where it gets me messed up is when people try to frame it in the context of what I call it worshiping the God of reciprocity where people will sort of have this idea of like, if I do this thing for you, now I'm expecting you to do this thing for me because reciprocity is supposed to work that way, right? And that's where like most of the networking education that's out there lives. But mm -hmm. the fact of the matter is you never know what somebody's, I, I call it, there's a reciprocity impulse and there's a reciprocity timeline. So like if I have a reciprocity impulse, and it's very strong, I may give back to you right away. But if I have a weak reciprocity impulse, I may, it may take me forever to give back to you or I may never even think about it. And then on a timeline standpoint, I may the type, be the type of person who gives back to you right away, but I also may be the type of person who waits to see all the things that you do and sort of test you to figure out if I should give back or if I should do more. Like there's, mm -hmm. there's so many variants in terms of how we, how we interact you know, how we interact with others. So um, that's where a lot of this stuff comes from uh, in terms of creating the group and, and, and the ideas behind it. Well, I love it. And I really resonate with it. And I think I'm going to get like a poster that says gate and put it in my office <laughs> because, um, yeah, I just I love the, the idea of reaching out to thank someone every day and to ask because those are two things that when I do them, I'm always happy. Like, oh, I finally asked for help in this area I'm struggling. Or I finally thanked that person who lent me the book that changed the way I saw my business. And, you, you know, you think of these things sometimes, but you don't actually follow through. So I think it's cool to have that simple acronym that we can remind ourselves of as business owners and just going through daily life, like giving, asking, thanking, like it's just awesome stuff. So I'd encourage people to uh, check out your group because I think it's absolutely wonderful what you've created. Thanks. Um, I'm wondering what types of conversations or topics are you learning about right now? Now, what is lighting you up and where are you kind of focusing your efforts at the moment? Yeah. I mean, there's so many different, there, there, there's so many different things that are interesting to me. Um, right now, uh, a lot of what I've been looking at is sort of how the, the world is changing because of everything that's going on, right? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I'm uh, that I've been very very fascinated with is what I have been calling sort of the rise of the Maven, right? So um, a lot of the time uh, we've sort of looked at we've sort of looked at the content creator as sort of like the the head of the the head of the pack, right? And that becomes a challenge for somebody who is not a content creator right? For a person who like doesn't normally create their own content, make their own stuff, sometimes they can feel kind of like less than or that there isn't a lot of opportunity. And 
where there's a, an amazing opportunity right now is in the content curator, in the person who's sort of deciding like which language, which things are out there that really matter and packaging them for people and saying like, this is what to pay attention to and this is what to look for. Um, and I think that because so many people are gonna be coming online as a result of the fact that they can't be in their offices, basically people are gonna be looking for mavens. They're gonna be looking for people who are able to tell them like this is quality and this is not. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's something very, very interesting there in thinking about like where in my business, where in my world am I also a curator? Am I also a maven? as opposed to just the, the person who people are following or sort of creating the content. Where are my recommendations as opposed mm-hmm. to just like, here's my stuff. Uh, and it really ties a lot to the relationship building aspect of things because a lot of the time people think that, you know, I need to just put my stuff out there and then I'm going to build an audience. But you can get so much more attraction and interest from an audience if you're able to say to your audience, hey, here's something I found that's super useful, that's super helpful, and I'm going to share it with you, right? And, and so few people do that. And it's a, I think it's a really, really interesting opportunity right now. Oh, that is so good. And something that, um, you know, I learned this term called knowledge broker a couple of years ago, and it mm-hmm. is a kind of like an opportunity for somebody who doesn't necessarily want to like be on the stage presenting, having their own topics, but simply kind of like you said, like curating the ideas and being that hub of there's so much content on the internet, but here I've sifted through for people like me and you who like to have very well-researched or very entertaining content or whatever the, the kind of common thread is, being that curator. So I think that's really fascinating and I can't wait to follow. Um, hopefully you have some upcoming emails and different educational pieces on that because I think it's very fascinating. Thanks. Um, well, this has been so awesome. I, I love chatting with you and hearing about all your different acronyms that simplify my <laughs> life. And, um, you know, you talk about being a referable brand. And I can truly say that, you know, even just yesterday, I was chatting with a client of mine, and she's a giver. And I said to her, you know, I'm interviewing this guy, Michael, tomorrow, and he's got this gate philosophy, and you need to ask more and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, what you've done clearly works, because here I am speaking your name to many of the people that I <laughs> work with. So I want to awesome. definitely commend you for living and breathing uh, what you talk about. Um, so I'm wondering now, you know, you have this high contrast statement of going from a Broadway producer or from high school English teacher to Broadway producer. You know, what's next? Do we introduce you as high school English teacher gone Broadway producer gone astronaut? What is that <laughs> next step for you? Like, where do you yeah. see yourself in five years? Or are you just taking it as it comes, enjoying the journey? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always sort of in that place of enjoying the journey. But uh, one thing that has come up uh, pretty much throughout my entire, uh, I would say my entire career has always been people basically asking me if I've written a book, right? So I've got tons of content. (laughs) I've done a lot of things. um, But uh, I've never gone sort of the traditional route of like, here is a tome, you know, if you will, of these ideas, right? Of Of these particular concepts. So uh, that I think is what's next. I think uh, the, the next thing is to actually uh, create a book specifically built around all of the principles of referability uh, because I have, a lot of, um, I have a lot of concepts that 
uh, I've used with clients and, and like different things that have really helped create better referral opportunities and, and things like that. And I'd love to like share more case studies about this stuff and sort of show how these things progress. Um, so I think that will be kind of the next direction. I, I, I imagine what will happen is uh, there will probably be a book and I'll probably be in sort of that like author speaker, uh, mm -hmm. you know, kind of uh, kind of worlds um, just because it just keeps it keeps coming up, uh, mm -hmm. you know, again and again. So I think that's I think that's going to be the next uh, I think that's going to be the next phase. Unreal. Well, I will certainly be one of the first readers. I'm so excited for, um, yeah, whatever you create in the future. I think your content is magnetic. I love your daily emails. And I've definitely been geeking out on just a lot of the stuff that you're putting out. So Thank where you. is the best spot for people to find you and to connect with you? Sure, sure. So my website's just uh, smallpondenterprises.com. Uh, mm -hmm. And if you pop over there, uh, you can get on the daily email. I've got uh, uh, Hang With Your Heroes handbook that sort of breaks down a lot of these like relationship building principles. And uh, very soon, I'm going to be uh, developing uh, a referability rater where you'll be able to actually test uh, and answer some questions, kind of see where you land on this referability scale. Uh, and I've got a couple of other things sort of in the, in the mix uh, coming up as well. So excited about mm. that. Love that. I think that's so cool to kind of put some sort of scorecard on referability because right now I'm yeah. like, I don't know if I'm referable enough. So that'll be awesome. Um, thank you so much for sharing all your wisdom and your brilliance on the Visionary Life podcast and all the best in the future, Michael. Yes. Thank you so much, Kelsey. I had an absolute blast. Really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Visionary Life. I love bringing you these conversations on a weekly basis, so it would mean so much to me if you could help me out by rating and reviewing the show in your iTunes app. You can also support the show by taking a quick screenshot of the episode and sharing it on your Instagram stories, tagging me at Kelsey Rydell. I'll catch you in the next episode. P.S. Whenever you're ready, there's a couple of ways that I can support you. So first thing, if you're ready to make your first or next $50,000 in business, explore how the Visionary Method Business Coaching Experience can accelerate your growth. There'll be a link in the show notes. Also, if you're feeling lost, confused, or overwhelmed when it comes to starting an online business, reach out and book a free revision call with me. I'll offer you customized recommendations on how to get unstuck so you can live a life filled with joy, happiness, and fulfillment.